I'm sure you already celebrated this, but we feasted. We feasted last week. Uh, love feasting. Love feasting. Thank you. Thank you to the Andersons, wherever you are here or in whatever country you are in. I am very thankful for, uh, for last week. Oh, there we go. Thank you guys for... It's, it's a while. It takes me a second to calibrate. Wait, who, where, where is everybody? Yeah, good. Thank you. That was amazing. Uh, uh, feasting both in the morning and the evening. Thank you. Thank you for, for feeding me and my family and my family uh, last week. Great. Brilliant. Um, good. So we're, we were feasting last week, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead and, and his victory over sin and death, the grace, the, the grace that we have. Uh, this week, we're going to continue in our study that we've been in for quite some time on um, entitled Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. Now, sadly, we're getting near the end of our study. We have only about three more lessons left, and, and maybe, if time permits, a, a, a recap, but we're getting close. So if you're new here or, or you're visiting, what we've basically been doing is we've been spending time in the book of First Samuel. And we've been looking at three different people in three different generations. We looked at a, a woman named Hannah who was persevering in prayer for years until she saw uh, God intervene miraculously and bring breakthrough into her life. We looked at a rejected judge, a, a, a prophet, a priest, a guy named Samuel, and, and his life of integrity and the impact of that. Uh, we're, we're currently now looking at this third and final person, a, a king by the name of Saul. And, and Saul doesn't really hit it well. I mean, he has a rocky start and a worse finish, but, but I actually find looking at Saul's life much more mm, helpful, practical. I don't really want to say that I have issues, but I do, and looking at Saul, I'm like, oh, okay, there's somebody I, I understand, somebody who, is, who, who um, stumbles and, and trips around in this, in this following God thing, and, and, I, and I, I think that today, um, that today is just another example, and especially as we go through the next couple weeks, Saul, Saul is tipping. He's, he's tipping. And we're looking at that moment today where he's going to be rejected by God as the king of the nation in 1 Samuel 15. Now, the heart of the lesson today is, is basically this. This is what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to make a difference, then you need to know that following God well means fully obeying. It means fully obeying, fully obeying. And, and that sounds simple, but I think the more we look at it, the more, the more challenging it is. And, and actually, uh, as I've been going through this, I, I find this one real piercing, real piercing, really uh, convicting. And so I'm just gonna try and, you know, every time I say a point, be like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. try and lighten it up a little bit. But wow, we, God, is, God has got some, there's a real lesson here about what following God looks like, what following him well looks like. And it's about full obedience. Well, let's look at the story. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the words are going to be on the screen. This is the context of, of what's going on uh, when, when Saul's about to be rejected. So in verse 1, it says, Samuel told Saul, Samuel was the prophet, he's here talking to Saul, and he's going to give him a mission. Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites 
when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now, go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, children and infants, oxen, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And donkeys. So, okay, so that's, that's the context of, of what's going on. Here's, here's, here we get a glimpse, okay? So God has just sent Saul on a mission, on a mission. And, and the, we, the why is right there in that passage. It's because God witnessed what the Amalekites, how evilly, how evil the, the, um, the Amalekites had treated God's people when he was bringing them out of Egypt in that, in that uh, tender moment. And, and actually, if you look at Exodus chapter 17 and you look at Numbers chapter 24, you see like how God makes a promise to Moses. And he promises that someday God is going to pay them back for this evil that they've done. And it's, the day is going to come where God, he's giving his word that the day is going to come when he's going to wipe out uh, the, the Amalekites. And so now we're at that story where now is the time. A couple hundred years later, now is the time. So just, just so we're understanding, this isn't, okay, this is the worst way to say it, but from our perspective, this isn't just some random thing that God's asking him to do. I don't think God gives random things that he asks us to do, but, but, but on, the, on, the, on the spectrum of things, what, what we're seeing here is that, that this, is, this mission is intensely important to God because God made a promise. God made, God gave his word to Moses and that whole generation. So this moment, this mission, it's a big deal to God. It's huge for God to keep his promises. God is a promise-keeping God. Every promise that God has made to his people uh, is, is true. Every promise that God has made to you, every promise that God has made to the person next to you, God keeps his promises. It's at the very heart of his nature. And so sometimes God will ask you to do things that are extremely important to him because although you may know it or although you may, may not realize it, God might be asking you to fulfill one of his promises that he's made to somebody else. And actually, it's not a test for you. We tend to think of everything in purely us form. Oh, God's testing me. Will I have the courage to obey him here? I don't even know. It might not even have anything to do with you. It might actually have to do with the promise that he made to somebody else, that he has appointed you, and he's set you apart to fulfill the important promise that he makes. And it's important because he's a promise-keeping God. And you're the one that he's sending to keep his promises. This is why full obedience is such a big deal because you never know if that strange or, or, or uncomfortable thing that God has asked you to do you never know if it's, it has really nothing to do with you as much as it is about God keeping his promise to someone else and that make, ranks it as extremely important that we, we do what God's asking us to do in those moments it's a, it's a sacred thing to hear from God it is a sacred thing when God asks you to do something. We, we like to filter, do I want to, do I not, do I, how do I feel, how, how come? It is a sacred task when God speaks to you and gives you a direction. And it has an incredible spiritual weight behind it. And we don't even always know the why. We usually don't know the why. But, but it's, it's a big deal and it's important that we do all that he asks. 
Well, let, let's see what happens as we look at this story. So there's, there's the mission, there's the assignment. And then we pick up in verse four, the next words. Uh, then Saul summoned the troops and counted them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the wadi. He warned the Kenites, since you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, go on and leave. Get away from the Amalekites or I will sweep you away with them. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. Okay, maps time. Just what are we talking about? Uh, what's going on in this bit? Okay, so on the maps here, which, yeah. So the red circle at the bottom is where they're assembling Saul's second largest army that we see him have. The largest was with King Nahash, the eye gouger. I don't know why I act that out. I'm sorry I did that. The, the eye gouger king, is, is first, his first victory, that was the largest army. This is the second largest army he's had. And so they're set, uh, assembling way down here to the south. I just put the little green bit up higher so you can see where Jerusalem is. In Saul's day, it's still not that big of a deal yet in Samuel, Saul's day, but it will be, and we know about it. So that's in the square. The circle bit up above is where most of the stories are taking place. Actually, many of the Old Testament stories take place in the in the uh, Benjamin Plateau there. So that's where Saul is leading from. Samuel was leading from up there and, and Hannah lived up there. Oh, that's kind of the, the area. So now we're way down to the south near the Amalekite zone. The Amalekite zone is massive, as you can see on the map over here. I kind of drew a red line around it. You got, you got Shur all the way over here in Egypt. And then you've got uh, Havilah, which you don't know exactly the full extent of it. That's why you see question marks on it. But it is a massive geographical, a massive geographical area. I, I, I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly where it ends. But if, if, if it's kind of even close to this amount, you, I don't think you see an army of Israel ever venture this far in any other part of the Bible. Like this is a massive geographical area that, that we're talking about here. This is a huge deal. Now the Kenites, who we talked about, they, they were Moses' father-in-law's people. So when they come out of Egypt, um, Jethro, he, he invites Jethro and his family to come with them and they journey through the wilderness and then they settle uh, right down at the bottom of the, of the Dead Sea, kind of between that red dot and the, the red circle and the, and the, and the Red Sea. I, I put also in this map a little circle up at the top, a little dot up at the top. That's where the assembly point is, is taking place, just so we're on the same page with the mass. But a massive, a massive thing. And the thing about the Amalekites is they, they don't really have a nation, per se, because they're, they're a tent-dwelling people, mostly. They, they've got a few places, but they're mostly a tent-dwelling people. And so they're, they're spread out um, all over the place. Now, I just, I just want you to see this, because what God has asked Saul to do is this huge thing. It's this huge, major, major, major military campaign. It, it's, 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 it's not, uh, yeah, it's a massive thing. And when, when Saul did this thing with Jabesh Gilead where he rescues them from Nahash, it's like saving a town in Israel. This is way beyond that. And, and so he's going for it. He's going for it. And this is what, this is what he does, starting in verse eight. So, uh, so he's, then Saul so, so struck them down. Verse 8, he captured Agag, king of Amalek, alive, but he completely destroyed, I'm just going to 
I say that again. He completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. That massive area, he completely destroyed. Saul and his troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and choice animals as well as the young rams for the best, and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. Now, just to make sure we remember, okay, massive region, vast region. Uh, I, I showed you, in, they do this in obedience to God. They, they wipe out every man, every woman, every child, every infant in this, in this big area, every human except for one. Um, before my next comments, if you're a vegetarian, maybe you can plug your ears. And they also killed a lot of animals. And, and, and um, not all of them, but, but many, many animals. Okay, you can unplug your ears. I'm back on. Uh, a massive work, a work in, in obedience to God. Carried out with huge success, huge success. And I just want you to see how much they actually did. How much they actually did. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel I regret, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me. We're talking about following God well. God's, God's read on this, he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. I don't really have a problem with that. This was a major, major, epic, epic victory. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, Saul said to Samuel, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Okay, stop. Can you see it? Can you see why he would make this claim? I mean, he, he completely, Saul completely believes that he has followed God amazingly well and has been hugely successful in this. He's expecting that he's about to be praised. He's about to be celebrated. He, he, he's done this great thing in obedience to God, very successful, and, but this is what happens. Samuel replied, then what is the sound of sheep and cattle I hear? Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep and, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But, but the rest we destroyed. Stop, Samuel, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me. I think he's like, he's not expecting anything bad. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Am Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? And here are the words from Saul. But I did obey the Lord. But I did obey the Lord. 
Saul answered, I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. True. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The, the troops took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance like the wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as So Saul and the nation have been celebrating. They've been celebrating in, in triumph this obedience to God by, by setting up a monument and celebrating their obedience to God by bringing these amazing sacrifices. Saul genuinely seems to be surprised at this accusation. How dare anybody imply that he didn't obey God? He completely destroyed. He destroyed, completely destroyed them. I mean, look at all that he did for God. He's like, I did obey. I went on the mission. I completely destroyed them. And this brings me to the first of five comments connected to helping us learn to follow God well in our generation and looking at the warnings from Saul's mistakes. And th these ones are, are hard for me to hear and, and, and I hear it. And, I, and if we all feel a little bit like hesitant, I, I get that. The first one is mostly obeying is entirely different than fully obeying. Mostly obeying is entirely different than fully obeying. And I think this is a lost message that we need to rediscover. It's a convicting message, but it's a lost message we need. When it comes to following God well, we tend to think uh, like following God well uh, doing, is doing what he asks. If he asks us to do something, he says, hey, I want you to do this. The more we do, the more intentionally, the more we step out of our comfort zone, the, the higher percentage of, of, of obeying on this, the more like super heavenly reward credit we get towards, hey, I can have an, a new vase for my mansion in glory or something like that. Like, like we just kind of assume that it, it's on this scale. If we do something, then, then God's happy, and if we do a higher percentage, then yay. For, exa for example, an, uh, an, uh, an example might be <clears throat> if you're sitting at church, Okay, it's hard to imagine, but let's say uh, you're, you're sitting at church and, and you, you're, you're here or maybe you're reading your Bible or praying or whatever and you feel in your heart that God has put somebody on your heart. Like he's put someone on your heart and, and this urgency in your spirit to call them, to call them and to ask them about what are they thinking about God right now. And it's just, in, it's one of those moments, it's invading your mind, it's invading your heart and you're feeling the pressure and you think that very, very likely this isn't you because you feel very uncomfortable with the thought, but instead that God's Spirit is, is, is urging you to phone this person and, and to phone them now. And, and it's not something that you feel comfortable with. It's pushing you a bit out of your comfort zone. You're like, you mean phone them? I'm a millennial. Phone, phones are for scrolling, not for calling. Everybody, everybody knows that. Why would I? What would, I don't even know how to do that. Uh, oh, man. 
So you feel this urging, and, and, and you feel this pressure, and, and then, okay, so you're like, okay, okay, I feel really uncomfortable, but I want to follow God, I want to obey God, and so here's what I'm going to do. Next time I see them, which is coming up relative in the next week or so, I'm going to be extremely intentional with them, and I'm going to talk with them, and I'm going to see what's really going on, and, I, and let's say you do this. A week later, you see them, and, and you start this chat. Hey, you know, I, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot, and and I was kind of wondering, and you go bold on this one. You just, just go for it. I was wondering what you're thinking about God these days. You know, I, I know that you haven't really given a lot of thought about God, but, and you just go there, and you push yourself out of the comfort zone. And let's say the conversation goes amazing, and you, you have this great conversation with them, and, and as a result, they're like, wow, thank you. Thank you for, 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 I was, uh, for talking to me about this. You know, maybe I'd like to come to, to your church sometime, and you're like, yes, uh, Yes, we have a, a, a very bald pastor, but that's okay. And you, you'll probably still like it anyways. Whatever excuses you, you make. Anyway, so, <clears throat> so it goes well. And you walk away from that conversation and you're like, boom. <laughs> Nailed it, right? Nailed it. And, and, and you're just feeling like, like that was amazing. You were intentional. You were responding. And, and then they were there in that moment. And you had a great conversation about God. And at that moment, we would all expect God to be pretty happy with us, Right? We felt like God spoke to us. We felt urged. We, we did something about it. Okay, we feel pretty good. Now, this is a, a, fictional, a fictional story, so I get to paint the, own, the whole story because uh, it's fiction. So, applying Saul's situation here, though, in this moment, the simple reality might have been in that scenario that God asked you to call them on that day for a reason. Because they were crying out to God, and God knew this. They were desperate to hear from him. They needed to hear from him that day because of decisions that they were making that day. And they needed, they didn't believe in God, but they, they had been appealing to the God of heaven to help them in this moment. Now, you don't know this. You just think God's trying to test you and stretch you and, and all that kind of stuff, and maybe you'll meet him in the middle. But God had a very real reason for that phone call on that day. And so you've walked away feeling like you did it. Hello, heaven credits come pouring into my life. And yet, you missed it. I mean, you did something great, but you, you missed the assignment. And actually, you didn't follow God well, actually, in that moment. We live under this delusion that close enough is good enough. That something is amazing when it comes to intentionality and, and, and following God. If it turned out good and we had some intentionality behind it, then, then God's got to be pleased. But we, we look at this story and, and we look at how much Saul did. And he did so much. Mostly obeying God was entirely different, though, than fully obeying God. Now, maybe you know people, uh, maybe you know people who feel like God must be so happy with their lives because they can think of some things that they've done for God. And so they feel pretty good. Like, I did that thing for God that day, or I helped at this thing, or I, 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 I whatever, I, I serve at church, all good things, all good things. But they feel very happy because they do some things for God. And we think that's how life should work. Then God should be happy with us because we do some stuff. Now, Saul might look at his situation here and think, okay, God, it's God, it's got to be mostly happy. I mean, sure, there's one human being we haven't killed yet. And, and sure, there's, there's heaps of sheeps and everything like that. But, but you get this idea, like, maybe, worst case scenario, God would give him a 98% grade. Now, if I, 
if I had ever gotten something as high as a 98% in school, which I don't think I ever did, but let's just pretend like I got, I would be like, boom, this is amazing. And, and, and just be celebrating and expecting all kinds of praise and maybe copious amounts of cash from my parents for actually having done something, something as extraordinary as a 98%. And, and yet we, we go to God in this moment and expecting 98%, expecting huge amounts of praise, but God's response to him, even though he did all of that was I was angry that I made him king I regret that I made him king and now I'm rejecting him as king I was angry regret rejected and that that sounds shocking compared to what Saul actually did I mean what Saul did was was incredible and, and I, I hear that and I see God's response to this like 98% obedience thing and it shakes me a little bit. It, 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 it rattles me a little bit out of, out of my comfort zone and, and I'm reminded that mostly, mostly obeying God is how Saul was rejected by God. It wasn't because he turned against God, it's because he only mostly, mostly, mostly obeyed that he was rejected. Yikes. If we want to follow God well, we have to break free from the delusion that mostly obeying God is good enough and become determined to live fully obedient to God in everything, in everything. It's a challenging message, and that's just the first one. Here's the second, the second of the super fun ones for the day. Mostly obeying grieves the heart of God. Mostly obeying grieves the heart of God. And again, we expect mostly obeying delighting the heart of God because we actually did something. We actually did something. In the translation here in, in the story that we just read, in verse 11, God says, I regret that he made Saul king. In other translations, I am grieved that I've made Saul king. It's the same word from the verse we quote from every week at the beginning where, um, I, where God says, I, he regretted that he'd made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. It's that same, same concept of I, I am grieved, I am grieved. In Ephesians 4, as believers, as New Testament believers were urged not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How in that context do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By, by disobedience, by, by, by lying. By, there's, there's a list of different sins there. And it's like by, by, by sinning against God, by, by grieving God, by not fully obeying Him in, in sin and, and disobedience. When we live lives that are pleasing to God in a few ways, but not pleasing to God in other ways, God loves you. He definitely loves you, but you're also grieving him by not fully obeying him. What we need to say in those moments is, is God, I am no longer okay with just letting these disobedient pieces linger in my life. Jesus, I need your help. I am determined in my heart with your help to go to war against, against disobedience in my life, against sin issues in my life, to go to war against, uh, against my fearfulness that is keeping me from, uh, from responding when I feel your nudges and when I, when I hear you say, I want you to do this. I, 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 I'm going to go war against those fears uh, and, and I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Friends, mostly obeying we expect God to be happy. The Bible describes him as grieving. 
It's fully obeying. And that's the heart that's determined to follow God all the way in everything that, that delights him. That's number two. Number three is beware of self-serving selective obedience with spiritual justifications. Now, because there's a lot of words there, we're like, okay, good. Whew, I can take a break on this one. Because I would never do this. Self-serving, no. Uh, selective obedience, nah. With spiritual justifications. I know other, this is good. We'll, we'll stream it to other people. In this story, Saul is only selectively obeyed God when it came to the animals under the excuse of it's for the sacrifices. It's for the sacrifices. And the compromised thinking was this. You got all these great animals, perfect animals. God would love sacrifices from these. These are high-quality uh, animals. And, and, and then there's this unspoken thing out there. And then we wouldn't have to use our own animals for the sacrifice. And plus, these ones are qualit qualitatively better. These, these, these sheep, they're, they're, they're amazing. Uh, the quality is better. God will be so much happier if we bring these animals than, than the ones out of our own, our, own, our own fields. God will be happy and it won't cost us anything. Again, it makes so much sense. But by contrast, by contrast, you see David, the next king, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, where he makes it clear that he, he, he has an opportunity to be given the, the land for this sacrifice to stop this plague, uh, the, the animals for it, and he says, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Like that, that, just a shift in mindsets there. And see, God sees our hearts. He sees our hearts. He sees our motives. He sees, sees he knows the little self-serving things that we do under spiritual excuses for him. I knew this guy in Seattle who, who explained to me why he doesn't bring an offering to church. And, and it, was, it was just this great, it was great excuse. I mean, it doesn't work, but it's great excuse. And his excuse was, I am not going to bring an offering to church right now because I'm saving up money to start this business. And this business is going to be successful, says everyone before they've started a business. And so this is going to be successful, and, and I'm going to make heaps of money. And, and so the faster that I can get this business started, then the more money I'm going to be able to get to God over my lifetime. And so big picture, it is way better for me to not give now so that I can give so much more sooner. As if God is interested in how much over a course of a lifetime, as much as he is percentage today. And, and, and just kind of mention, but that spiritual, that spiritual, I'm going to compromise now, selectively obedience now with, with, with good spiritual reasons. I see it in relationships. I see people say, like, okay, I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to marry or date this, this unbeliever. And even though I, you know, I know what the Bible says, I mean, I don't look at it because I don't want to read it, but I, I, know, I kind of know that it's there, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that because, because you know, I, I, if I date them, um, then they're going to come to Jesus, and they're going to give their life to Jesus, and, and if, if that doesn't work, then I'm going to marry them, and then they're going to come to Jesus, and it could work, actually. It, it does work sometimes. That does, that does work sometimes. Uh, most of the time, people walk away from Jesus when that's going on. Mostly, not always, but mostly, and and instead of them coming to Jesus. But the thing is, it doesn't matter. That's a great example of just another self-serving, selective obedience 
with spiritual justifications. I'm trying to reach. There's lots of these in our, in our lives, and they're so subtle because we're giving God motives behind them. Very subtle. Anyways, that's number three. Uh, the fourth one is full obey challenging moments are often major life turning point moments. Um, th that's so poorly worded that I'll, I'll just explain it. So <laughs> there are... <laughs> There are going to be some moments in your life, just crossroad moments. There's spiritual crossroad moments in your life, turning point moments. And you're going to have those moments, and what they feel like is this. Pain, I do not want to do what God wants me to do. Like an, an internal soul, no, I can't do that that's too much and these are crossroads moments in life where where whatever it is there's an, a heaps of pressure on you to compromise to turn away from god and you're at this one of those crossroads moments where you're gonna be like i'm going to resolutely walk in holiness and obedience to god and everything or i'm going to i'm going to compromise they're, they're turning point moments and we always think if we take the compromise path it's just it's just fine it's just like three steps to the left and then I'll just come back onto the path after I get around this thing that I didn't want to do but, but sadly a lot of times those, those crossroad moments have long roads and even if you do find the journey back like the prodigal son, praise God for that pretty painful road and when you look at Saul's painful road he, makes, he compromises here in this moment his painful road now is full of demonic, uh, demonic harassment it's, it's full of uh, paranoia it's full of paranoia it's full of power grasping he starts throwing spears at people including his own son fighting against what God wants this turning point begins a very dark demise uh, uh, of Saul there's lots of turning point moments. There's like the turning point moment of like, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you surrender your life to Jesus to following his way? Oh, I don't know if I want to surrender it because there's these things coming up that I don't want to have to give up if I follow Jesus. There's others, other people who are at turning point moments as Christians and, and I, just, I just plead with you to take that narrow path, to walk the path of obedience. It, it's to resolve yourself instead of failing like Saul in that moment to take that other road to stand strong I, I have been in these moments I know that many of you know exactly what they feel like where they just scream in your soul but it is so those are the moments that, that determine your, your way they're crossroad moments and following God well means even in those brutal moments where you say yes to him Making a difference means standing strong in obedience in the day of pressure, temptation, and the desire to compromise. It's going to be rewarded. That's number four. The fifth one, the fifth one is just, it's kind of a fun freebie. It's not. Stop using the cross of Jesus and his grace as a substitute for full obedience. Stop using the cross of Jesus and his grace as a substitute for full obedience. The words of Saul, or to Saul here, are to obey is better than sacrifice. And that's, that's still true with us. I mean, we've got the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. We've got the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And yet, to this day, it is still true. To obey is better 
than sacrifice. And sure, God will forgive you with joy for everything. God will forgive you for every mistake. God will forgive you for every compromise. God, God's grace is more than enough. There is no doubt about God's grace and his love for you, his joy in you, and yet to obey is much better than sacrifice. If we use that, even not those words, but even that thought that, that, that I don't need to follow God like extremely well, I can have a few purity compromises because you know, I'm doing these other things, so it all balances out, and so God's going to be happy because I'm getting my heaven credit. No, I don't. That's not. Money compromises, people compromises, integrity compromises. Uh, way too many people feel rather comfortable because of the goodness of the message of Jesus and his great forgiveness that they don't feel like they have to be extreme or militant or really resolved to try and follow God well in everything, in everything. And so they find themselves spiritually mediocre. They've got some obey in their lives, but some sins and obedience issues that they're not even trying with. They're just letting some, some sin stuff continue. And they might be sad about that sin stuff, but they're not aggressive against it because there's grace and we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's just the same as with Saul here in this story and the message of Saul. The call to us as believers, according to Hebrews chapter 12, is to throw off everything that hinders. Everything that's trying to throw up everything that hinders and the sin, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The call is all. The call is fully obeying in all things. The call is fully obeying everything that Jesus asks us to do uh, exactly when he asks us to do it, whatever the cost. The call is fully obeying everything the Bible asks us to do in the area of purity and godliness and holiness. The call is all, and the warning is Saul. The warning is Saul. If you want to make a difference and you follow God well, then you need to know that that it's the commitment to fully obey God in everything that brings God's smile and com commendation. Three challenges. Challenges. Uh, challenge number one, I want you to prayerfully ask God to identify areas that you're not taking seriously when it comes to fully obeying God. Fully obeying God. Number two, humbly confess to someone some of the areas you have allowed uh, compromise in. And, and that's just because uh, confessing your sins to one another is powerful. It's powerful. Somebody you know, love, trust. Uh, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And then thirdly, pray hard that a spirit of holiness would rise up in our church. That there would just be a, a, a hunger for holiness, for going for it with God, full obedience and everything. That, that that would be stirred up here in this place. Yeah, I, I know. I, I wrote the message, and I've spent a lot more time in this than you have. Uh, it's, it's challenging. And I, and I want to hold up intention two things. Last week, grace. The wonder of the cross. The joy of the cross. 
and also the, the call of God for whatever his reasons to, be, to follow him resolutely uh, determined in everything. They're not in conflict. They're not in conflict. And, and, and as we set out to, to live this life following God well, this is our path, and we're gonna stumble. We're gonna stumble on that path. We're not gonna hit it right. But if we're running on this path, then we can just enjoy and cherish the grace along the way. Now, if we're not trying to run on this path, if we're just trying to just kind of run ish, 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 then that's, there's grace for that. But here's the path we're called to. And this is the one I encourage you and, and our church encourages you to. I'm gonna pray for us and, and my, I'm gonna pray for us. The, the worship team is gonna come forward and they're gonna lead us.